This is our destiny. The battle's already won. Make it loud. We're giving everything. By the cross, we have overcome. Hello, and welcome back to the Home Bible Study Podcast. I am excited to continue in this uh, um, study that we've been studying. We started Hebrews a while back, and now we're in Hebrews chapter 11. And I, I was looking forward to getting to chapter 11, but I had no idea how much awaited us in this chapter. And um, today is no different. So today we're going to be studying Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. And I'm hoping that uh, I don't miss pointing out some very key things about the writer here and what he's doing. One of those things is, as I mentioned when we first started chapter 11, he is definitely using um, familiar people and stories that would have been ingrained into the minds of the Hebrew people just by their culture. But I noticed that he has moved from characters who were in the Genesis uh, account and now today we move to the Exodus portion. So very methodically going through and making these points. And it's just amazing to see how the congruency and how the word of God complements itself. There is a huge story here made up of several smaller stories that are uh, integrated into the fabric of the universe. And as you grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord, that becomes more and more evident. Uh, these seemingly innocuous events that happen in the lives of people who we never would have known anything about um, turns out to be that these were the um, these stories in their lives were written by the hand of God, just like the universe was created with his fingertips. And we can relate that to ourselves as children of God, as actually believers um, in the Lord Jesus Christ, that our lives somehow, in some way, are also a part of this story. And we are much more, and our lives are much more than what we perceive it to be. And it's because of the Lord Jesus. And anything that God has anything to do with is always much more than what it appears to be. And the same thing is true with us. And we have to understand that. Um, it, the world is not going to tell you that. The world is not going to make you to see that. But the word of God will make you see that. So it's important for us to study the word and study it with an understanding that all of these things have purpose that you have a purpose, that I have a purpose, and that our purposes are intertwined with one another because we're all a part of the body of Christ. And each one of our lives are significant because of the Lord Jesus. So we're going to see examples of that, I hope, here in this study. It's like I said, we're in Hebrews chapter 11. If you have your Bible, please turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be studying predominantly in um, verse exclusively pretty much in verse 23 of Hebrews. So um, I'm going to read it. 
It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. That seems pretty simple. And if you if you take it from my perspective as somebody who's going to teach this verse, um, it seemed like, well, you know, there's just not a lot there. Maybe I should just continue on and uh, keep studying through. But there is a lot here and I'm not going to uh, touch on half of what's here, but I'm going to try to at least bring out some of the significant things as, as it a. Uh, as it's associated with this account. Now, Moses, first we, you know, we saw a couple of lessons ago, we talked about Jacob. And then after him, we talked about Joseph. And now the example has moved to Moses. Now, Moses is one of the greatest historical figures of all time. I repeat that, not just biblically, but he's one of the greatest historical figures to ever exist. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they gave birth to the children of promise, right? That's what they did. That's why they're famous and they're well known um, throughout the world and throughout the Hebrew culture. Well, Moses was given the very difficult task to deliver and raise those that, that nation from its infancy. And I, I use the word infancy because the nation Israel at that time was just like a toddler, the nation, you know, would be constantly testing uh, Moses, uh, testing his patience. And through all of that, you know, Moses carried them on his back and he taught them. And he taught them in spite of themselves. Um, and it all started here with his miraculous birth. And let's not lose sight of the fact that Moses' birth was miraculous. And we see these reoccurring patterns in scripture, these reoccurring patterns that God uses to reinforce to us his truth and how that the word builds upon itself. So here we see Moses, the deliverer of the people, had a miraculous birth. The Lord Jesus, the deliverer of uh, all mankind, uh, of Jews and Gentiles, had a miraculous birth. So God is doing that to show us that he's in control. That none of this happens by happenstance. That every detail of our lives, no matter how minute it might seem, it's like a orchestrated event by God. And he's doing it for a purpose. And even if you don't understand the purpose that he's doing it in my life or someone else's, focus on why he's doing these things in your life. Focus on only that. And if you only focused on that, you would see he would open up your eyes with, you know, give you spiritual eyes to see him in everything. And if we can see the Lord in everything, then it's comforting. And we need that kind of comfort. So it says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. Now. Immediately when I read that, I thought, okay, I remember that account of that story in Exodus, but the fact that he was a proper child, what does that mean? Well, when I looked up the word there, the word means beautiful, right? They saw that he was a beautiful child. And I don't think this is just the doting words of parents 
Because remember, Moses is writing this about himself. The first five books of the Bible were dictated by Moses. So he's having to give an account of his own birth. And so and if Moses was very modest, very modest. And so he wouldn't call himself beautiful if he was not beautiful. And this is a, an accurate account. This is God, the Holy Spirit, uh, kind of uh, expounding on that account uh, through this uh, letter to the Hebrews. So we know that it was true. So it says he was a beautiful child. Now, Moses had an older brother, Aaron, and a sister, Miriam. But apparently Aaron was born prior to the king's edict to kill the male children of the Jews. So Aaron missed that part, but Moses did not. So around the time that Moses was born is when this edict was given. It's interesting to see that uh, this, again, another reoccurring pattern in scripture that the Pharaoh at the time and then Herod later on when the Lord Jesus was born, both made this proclamation to kill the Hebrew babies. So this is an example of a clear satanic attempt to destroy the nation Israel and to stop the birth of the Messiah. Because as we know, in uh, Genesis, it was told to um, Adam and Eve that he was going to bear a son and that son would destroy Satan and be the deliverer of all mankind. So from that point on, there was a concerted effort to stop that from happening. And so this is exactly uh, what happened. So let's go back into Exodus and take a look for those who are not as familiar with that account. And even if you are familiar with it, it's always good to go back and, and to read to get the actual account because sometimes we get things mixed up. You know, we watch the Ten Commandments movie and we start getting those facts uh, that are in scripture mixed up with what we saw in the movie. So always go back and study and read. God has a blessing for you every time you study his word, no matter how familiar you might be with it. First, we're going to look at Exodus uh, chapter 1, verse 8. And it says, Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. The significance of the fact that that king didn't know Joseph is because prior to that, um, Joseph was a hero. I mean, everybody knew him. And if you've watched any uh, stories of heroes of the past, um, the people who lived during that hero's time, they, you know, are constantly affected by the nostalgia associated with not only whatever that hero accomplished, but just as time goes on, you know, whatever they accomplished always seems to get bigger and have a, a bigger effect just due to nostalgia. So that was the case with Joseph, but then there arose a king that did not know Joseph. So I think that if the king didn't know Joseph, then he certainly didn't care about what Joseph accomplished, uh, how long um, this, how long was this since Joseph died? We don't know. But after Joseph's death, there was a time and then a new king came along. And you have to understand that back in those days, 
different kings would rise up. Some of them wouldn't even be Egyptian. Like it's widely held that the Pharaoh at the time of Joseph was probably not Egyptian, but was probably a descendant um, of uh, the Hebrew people or, you know, one of those offshoot um, people that, you know, rose up that was familiar with the Hebrew people. And uh, that's why that Pharaoh was kind to Joseph because an Egyptian Pharaoh would not be. So that's what's widely held as a truth in that case. So here, maybe another king has come in, another nation has come in to rule, uh, and maybe the it's a uh, actual Egyptian king. I don't know who it was, but he didn't know Joseph. That's the main thing. And if he didn't know Joseph, he didn't know Joseph's people, and he really didn't care about Joseph's God. That is what we can take from this. So that's a that's the setting for what happened um and it said it says now there rose up a new king over egypt which knew not joseph verse 9 uh, exodus chapter 1 verse 9 and he said unto his people behold the people of the children of israel are more and mightier than we are basically means that you know there's a lot of them okay and um they were worried because their numbers were growing. The, God caused the Hebrew people to grow. Remember, he told Abraham, there'll be, if you can count the stars in the sky or the sand on the sea, then you'll be able to number um, your descendants. So God was being faithful and causing these people to grow. And it caused these uh, this Egyptian king and his cohorts to be concerned. In verse 10, come on. Let us deal wisely with them. And that's what the world always wants to do. The world always wants to deal wisely with the people of God. But the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. And so we see how foolish their wisdom is. It says, come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us. And so get them up out of the land. So basically they saw the nation Israel as in those people, the Jewish people as a threat. They're like, hey, what if somebody came in? They don't have any alliance to us. They have no bond to us because now Joseph is gone. Joseph was the link between the uh, Hebrew people and the Egyptian people because they both loved Joseph. But now that link is gone. And so now there's mistrust and fear uh, that has arisen. And so basically what happens is the, um, the Egyptians decide to enslave the Hebrew people because they thought, well, it's safer to enslave them than to leave them, to make them like us and have freedom. And this is very familiar. We see this played out in history over and over again where the people in power are afraid and so they oppress the people who they fear might take away their power and it's it's the wisdom of the world and it's foolishness foolishness to god because this is why we have wars this is why we can't have peace 
because there's always something or someone who wants something that someone else has. And it's just sad. But one day there's going to come one who will settle all this. Uh, when the Lord Jesus comes back and he rules over this earth, he's going to rule righteously. And there won't be any mistrust or fear associated with his rule. And his kingdom will be a kingdom of peace. This is what he's promised to his people, uh, the, the Jews, and this is what he is going to accomplish. But it's a stark contrast to see how the, the world, rulers of the world are compared to what he's going to establish. Something to think about and something to look forward to and to praise him for and to rejoice in, not for us because we have the new Jerusalem, but to rejoice in that there's going to be a people, his people, that are going to enjoy that kind of peace. And we should be thankful for his faithfulness in accomplishing that for them, just like he's accomplishing the blessings for us. So then the order came to kill all the male babies. You see in Exodus, in uh, Exodus chapter one, verse 15, and the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which of, of which the name of one was Shifra, and the name of the other was Pua. And he said, When ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, ye shall then if, it's, if it be a daughter, then she shall live. So here we see the order to kill Hebrew babies. I mean, yeah, the Hebrew babies when they're born, if they're boys. So the same thing happened with Herod. It's a, it's, a, it's a satanic plot to try to stop the birth of the Messiah. And thankfully, um, it was unsuccessful every time. Uh, the Lord Jesus was born he and ironically when the uh well i shouldn't say ironically it was the purpose of god that when the lord jesus was born the his parents were told to take him to egypt and to hide there and here we see um the same the precursor to that event of herod here in Exodus with Moses. So a lot of parallels can be seen in the lives of Moses and the Lord Jesus. And that's purposeful. God did that on purpose. And we have to understand that. And he does that again. I, I cannot overemphasize the fact that he's doing this for our comfort so that we'll know that he's in control. Because when things happen, when we get in these situations that we get in uh, by no fault of ourselves, just because there's a new leadership that comes into power, uh, whether it be the president of the United States or uh, a new person to take over where we work, um, whatever it is. If you're, uh, you know, some new person comes into your family and uh, that's not a believer and, you know, it, it, everything changes. But we have to understand that we can't be so myopic to think that God is not aware of that change. He is. He's the one that orchestrated that change. And it's for a purpose. Just like he brought this new king in who didn't know Joseph. So he gives this order to kill the babies. Exodus 
117, we see how that faith overcame the order of the wisdom of the world. It says, but the midwives feared God. That is the main thing we have to understand. These midwives that were given this commandment feared God. It doesn't say that they feared the king. They feared God. The word for fear here means a reverential respect. And if we understand that rightly, all believers should have a reverence and a reverential respect for who God is and what he's capable of doing and what he's promised for us. So no matter what you hear, what you see, what you smell, what you taste around you, to the contrary, you focus on the fact that Jesus is with you. And if it's just you and Jesus and nobody else, you are always in the majority. That's a very important principle for us to learn. That if it's just us and Jesus, if everybody else in the world, in the universe is against us, as long as you're standing with Jesus, you are on the winning side. You're protected. You are doing the right thing. No matter what anybody says, standing with Jesus will always be right. And so these midwives, they knew that. It says, but the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. So they went directly against this order. Um, they did not regard their lives as more precious than doing what was right before God. And that's a place that everyone, every believer needs to come to. We have to understand that our lives, our livelihood, None of that means anything if we're not standing with the Lord Jesus. Uh, take it all, right? Uh, the, all I need is the Lord Jesus. He's going to provide for me. So if you take anything I have materially, and uh, that's fine because he's going to take care of me. He's able to manifest whatever I need in a myriad of ways. And so we have to be like these midwives and we have to reverence God and we have to trust him. And if somebody's trying to tell you to do something that you know is against his word, against his will uh, for you in your life, then you stand and you don't do it. You stand with the Lord Jesus every time. So that's what happened. So this is the edict that was given that the, the babies had to be killed. But the midwives, you know, they weren't having that. They're like, no, we're going to do what what God tells us to do. So then we go to uh, Exodus uh, chapter one, verse 20, and we get more of this story. Um, it says in Exodus one, verse 20, therefore God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and waxed very mightily. And it came to pass because the midwives feared God that he made houses for them. He made them houses. Um, and we can't miss, we can't read through this so quickly that we miss another parallel to the Christian life, to the lives of the church age believers, the age we live in now that God said, I go to make a place for you, dwelling places for you. Um, God is building or has built a house for us. I like to look at it as, as we live this life and we serve him, we're furnishing our own home. How nice do you want your home to be furnished? 
How appropriately do you want it to be furnished for you? Serve the Lord Jesus now. The things that we do now for him, when we stand for him, when we walk in faith, when we trust him and and we stay close to him, we're literally storing up treasure for ourselves. We're, we're furnishing the home that he's already secured for us in faith. What a blessing that is. So that's what God said he did. He says, it came to pass because the midwives feared God that he made them houses. Verse 22, and Pharaoh charged all his people saying, every son that is born shall you cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. So there you go. Now he's saying, okay, um, these midwives have protected these babies from uh, being killed. God has dealt uh, in grace and provided for them uh, because they, they stood for him and they trusted him in faith. And so Pharaoh says, I know what I'll do. I'll just have them. If I can't kill them, I'll have you throw them into the river. That'll do it. So that's the plan that Pharaoh has. And that sets up this uh, verse that we're studying here in Hebrews. Now, Moses was saved by his parents because they um, reverend and trusted God. They that's That's why they saved him because it wasn't just because he was beautiful, it's because they trusted God. Um, the account says that Moses was placed in an ark, right? His mother placed him in an ark and so she made for him and set him flowing down the river um, and just kind of let him go. Now, she did have his older sister follow the ark to see what would happen. But at that point, she had basically cast Moses into the hands of God. She had kept him for um, three months hidden. And when she couldn't hide him anymore because, you know, babies kick and they cry and it's hard to keep a baby secret, especially when you have the uh, Egyptians looking for babies. They want to know if it's a male baby. They want to know what's going on when a baby is born. So they hid the child for three months. When she couldn't hide him anymore, she put him in an ark and she set him down the river. And I don't want us to miss the parallel here. And I think the message that is for us in this uh, particular part of the story and that is that if we have children or grandchildren, it's important for us to minister to them and to witness and to place them in the, the ark of the Lord Jesus Christ. The ark has always been a picture of the Lord Jesus, the ark that delivered uh, Noah and his family. And now we have an ark that's being used to deliver Moses. There you go with those reoccurring themes. It's because God wants to get across to us that it's important to understand that we place our children in Christ. And no, we can't save our kids. We can't force God to uh, save our children. But we do have a relationship to where we can intercede on their behalf and lift them to him constantly. That's what we should be doing. We have that privilege and if they're unsaved they don't have that privilege so we need to on their behalf we should be like a, a believer priest we should be representing them before the lord jesus and casting 
our children, our grandchildren before him um, and asking him to watch over them and to deliver them, even as he delivered Moses. Are we doing that? Are we placing our children in the Lord Jesus' care? That's what we should be doing. And I exhort you to do that. I exhort myself to be doing that always. Um, they need us. And just like any other person that's unsaved, they need the Lord Jesus. But, you know, we should have a special care and ministry to our own children. That's why the Lord gave them to us. That's part of the purpose why we have them. So we have a very vital ministry to our children, just like Moses' parents had to him. And it's important for us to present them to the Lord Jesus. We can do this as believer priests and offer them to the Lord Jesus to watch over and care for them throughout their lives. Uh, this is a dangerous world we live in, and we need to understand the importance of being prayer warriors. Prayer is uh, so important. It's one of our believer priest sacrifices, and it's a gift that God has given us to be able to participate and to engage in um, his glorification and to be a part of and a connected to him through God, the Holy Spirit in prayer. Prayer is an alignment to get us aligned to his will. It's how we know what his will is for us. And it's how that we participate or engage in a spiritual connection, a deep spiritual connection with the Lord Jesus through prayer. And that's why we should constantly be in prayer. It's so important to build us up and to strengthen us spiritually. We need that. And it's a, a gift that we can offer to others through intercession. So the world is waiting to receive our children just like Pharaoh's daughter was. Uh, and you know what? She, she was waiting to offer Moses uh, a certain kind of love, the, the kind of love that's apart from God, right? He was going into a family of people who didn't know Joseph, who didn't know Joseph's God. And so, yeah, there's love in that household, but it's not the love that we have that we know as the children of God. It's a completely different kind of love. And it's a love that lacks grace, the, the, the saving grace of God. So it's important for us as our children grow up and they enter into the world that we understand that they need that uh, our prayers, they need our instruction to help them. Uh, throughout this life. We have to make sure that we are committing them to God. So it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months because uh, they saw that he was beautiful. Now this word beautiful, I touched on it before, it's not just a physical beauty. What they saw was that he was different. He was special. There was a beauty that they were able to see through the eyes of faith. They saw in this child that he was more than just um, another Hebrew baby that was being born. And I believe that believers have these, this what I call eyes of faith. You know, I want to say it's in um, Philippians where it talks about having the eyes of faith. It's very important for us to understand that we have spiritual gifts that come along with being saved. 
there is a spiritual realm that exists and we can access that through prayer, through our connection to God, the Holy Spirit. And he gives us this faith sight, right? So that we can see things. And I talked about that in a lesson before. We have it where we, faith is the evidence of things unseen. So they had no idea what God's purpose was for Moses when he was born. They didn't know, but they, through faith, they knew that there was something about him. They knew that God had shown them that there's something different about this child and that that child was going to have a a bigger purpose than just being another Hebrew child born. And so their response in faith was to hide him in spite of what the king had commanded. And it says, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. So why wouldn't they be afraid? Well, it's because they had a huge army and they could take over the king anytime. No, no, that's not it. We learned earlier that they were being enslaved and they were um, the lowest ranking uh, people that existed in the society were slaves and they had no rights. They had no power. They had no access to defend themselves or to assemble an army. None of that. Uh, So where would they get the courage to defy the king of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at that time? Where would they get that kind of courage? Because it says, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Well, the world will always try to use fear to get us to react. And it's natural. You know, your body will react to fearful situations. It's a fight or flight. It's it's a natural reaction that's in all people. But believers have power over their bodies. We don't have to yield ourselves or our members to the natural. We have God in us, right? So we have a greater power in us so that we can respond to things differently. And the world doesn't understand that. But if you're saved, you understand that, that we do have this. We have this, God has given us this through his spirit indwelling us. Um, Well, how do you do this? How do you access this ability? Well, as a believer, you look to Jesus. It's really that simple. We have to keep our eyes on him. He is our source for everything that we need. Literally everything that we need. So we have to focus on him. I mentioned it earlier. Through prayer and supplication, we stay connected. And we have an ongoing dialogue with our Savior. Jesus doesn't have to sleep. He doesn't get tired. Um, he's always present for us at any moment. Why would we not take advantage of that? The more you engage the Lord Jesus and make him a part of your daily life and keep yourself open to what it is that he has to say, the more powerful you become and the less the world can do 
to uh, move you from the way, to take you out of the path. Okay, it's so important for us as believers to do that. And it's simply keeping our eyes focused on him. If we don't do this, what will happen is we'll get caught playing this game called what if. That's what I call it. What if. And the problem with playing that game is the answer to what if is always bad. So we start playing what if. We get overwhelmed by what we're afraid is going to happen. And there we go. We take our eyes off the Lord. And we started looking at the situation and all the things that could happen. And oh my gosh, what are we going to do? It's very important that we, we, we don't do that. The way you overcome this is by keeping your gaze fixed on Jesus. Right? Just keep it looking to him. The, the, the perfect picture of that is when... Um, Jesus saw the disciples and he started walking towards them on water. And without thinking, Peter jumps up to go greet him. And he starts walking on the water. And he's going to greet him. And then suddenly Peter realizes that he's walking on water. How does he realize that? Because he looks down and he starts sinking. He takes his eyes off the Lord. As long as we keep our eyes on him, we can do amazing things we can enjoy and rejoice in him in spite of what's going on and it's a powerful ministry to those who are around us that are watching us and i'm telling you there's always somebody watching you regardless there's somebody that you're not aware of that is watching you and you're ministering to them by just Keeping your eyes on the Lord. It's amazing what the Lord can do with that. So when you're looking to Jesus, when I'm looking to Jesus, we feel safe. Have you noticed that? When your eyes are on him, you feel safe. You feel loved and protected. That's faith. That's what faith does. Faith gives us those feelings and that comfort. It's called the peace of God. And it surpasseth all understanding. So what does that mean? That means that I don't have to understand how you're going to fix this, Lord. I just know that you will. And I'm going to keep looking to you and watch you fix this. That's what I'm going to do. That's keeping your eyes on the Lord. Is it easy to do? No. But the more you do it, the more it becomes a part of your daily life. And that's called growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. See how all of this kind of comes together? This is because we serve the same God. You know, we all serve the same God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has made these things to be true. He has revealed them in his word they were true for the people back in Moses' time, and it's true today because God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And he's had these things recorded for our benefit so that we can learn and to know these things, and we can incorporate these skills into our lives so that we can be better servants 
and we can enjoy him more. That's what he wants us to do. God wants us to enjoy him more. And how do we do that? Through faith. Through faith. That's why it's important for us to understand what faith is, how faith works, and what what our response should be so that we can enjoy the Lord Jesus to the fullest. All the things that we have waiting for us in heaven, we have now as it pertains to the Lord Jesus. That intimacy, that closeness, the, the understanding of his word, the knowledge, he's given us all of those things. It's up to us to, you know, to, to take hold of those things. He's provided them for us. That's why he says that we're to take hold of all the things that he's taken hold of us for. So let us take hold of these things in faith. It's very important. Faith is submission to the will of God. Faith is also listening to and obeying his instructions. Right? So we talked about the multifacetedness of faith. Faith is submission. Faith is also hearing and obeying. Okay? All of those things are accomplished by the grace of God working in us through faith. So where can we get these instructions? Where can we get this knowledge? How do I know this? Where does this come from? From studying the word of God. He has laid all this out to us. He's given us all these things so that we can enjoy him to the fullest. So that we can do like Paul said, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. The more we understand what he's accomplished for us, and the more we're able to enjoy that, the more we're going to rejoice. I mean, we should be to the point, I should be to the point where I'm rejoicing so much, I could barely focus on anything else. That's how it should be. That should be our goal, to reach that level of joy. And we can. We can and we should. He can accomplish that in us and he will. So the Bible says to study to show yourself approved. That's the key. We have to study the word. If you're listening to this, if you're going through uh, Hebrews with us, then yes, you are, you are doing the work that needs to be done for you to be able to accomplish this level of joy and this level of closeness and intimacy to the Lord Jesus. It says study to show thyself approved. His word is a lamp. That's what the psalm says. His word is a lamp to my feet. The picture there is that it's dark everywhere. And the only place that there's light is at the, at, with each footstep. So you can't see anything else, but each step you have illumination. That's the, that's the steady progression through the word as we study and we grow in grace. We, we start to see things. We start to understand things. And the things in our, in our lives that before it didn't make sense, it seemed terrible. It's like, okay, now I understand why this is happening. This makes sense. It doesn't make it any easier, but at least you understand why it's happening. And you can praise the Lord for it because you know it's going to glorify him. So Moses' parents, they learned that truth. They learned that truth way back then. Moses' mother received her son back. When she 
set Moses in that ark down the uh, river, Pharaoh's daughter, you know, found Moses and took him in. She took him into her family, into her house, and he was raised as, um, as her son. But the interesting thing is, is that um, because she noticed that he was so young and was still needing to be nursed, God arranged in his providence for Moses' sister to suggest a Hebrew woman to nurse the child. And that happened to be her mother and his mother. So God delivered through her act of faith and, and completely trusting him. God basically gave her son back to her. Again, do we see another parallel? Yes. Just like with Abraham and Isaac, you know, Abraham's test of faith was that, hey, you have to sacrifice your son. And in a type, God gave, he was ready to sacrifice his son. And God gave Isaac back to him, right? So we see how that faith is for us. It's not for God. God knows the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning. But when we go through these trials, our faith is strengthened. We are brought closer to God and we have a stronger relationship with God and God is going to make sure that he has purposed these things in our lives to make us to grow. So it makes me just ask the question because I mean, are you facing something very difficult right now? I'm pretty sure you are. That That's why the Lord has brought this message to you. Again, an example of the fact that he loves you and that he has a message for you particularly. He has designed this message to encourage and exhort you that you would keep your eyes on him through your situation. Uh, does this situation make you afraid? That's okay. It's not a sin to be afraid. Okay, but we can't let fear lead us. We have to overcome our fears by faith. We have to face these fears and face it trusting him, committing ourselves in a situation to the Lord. And he's faithful. He's faithful. He's the God over every situation. So feel free to tell him. Tell him how you feel. If you're afraid, tell him you're afraid. And ask him to give you grace um, and to use the situation and to use you to glorify himself. And to use the situation to teach and to strengthen you. Just like he did with Moses' parents. You know, they weren't afraid of the, the king. They reverenced God because faith overcomes fear. And this is yet another aspect of faith that the writer to the Hebrews is, is showing us. And he's showing us very carefully that God is able to care for us. And that we can't allow ourselves to take our eyes off of him. Not for a moment. Because it leads to disaster. But if we keep our eyes fixed on him, our gaze fixed on him. And when I, when I, when I read that, to gaze upon something is to be in awe of that thing. Or 
to have emotions tied to what you're looking to. And it's a blessing to know that I can look upon the Lord Jesus and just enjoy the love that he has for me and to meditate upon that, right? And when I'm meditating upon his love for me and his word and all the awesome things that he's done in my life, in this world, in this universe, whatever situation I'm in seems very small. It becomes very small in comparison. So it's important for us to understand that that's the key to success in life is to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus. Are we going to have troubles? Yes. Are our troubles worse than other people's? Sometimes they are. Sometimes they are. Uh, Exodus 1.12, in this, that, that we're studying right here in Exodus, it says, Behold, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. There's a purpose for that affliction. When things are harder for you and they seem like it's unfair and you're being singled out, you may be, but God is doing that for a purpose and he's going to cause you to grow from it. And I exhort you to not look at what's causing you the trouble, but look forward to in faith what God is going to do in that situation and how he's going to mature you and grow you and how much closer you're going to become to him. Get excited about the result and don't focus on what's happening. Be excited about the end result. And Jesus is going to be the end result. You're going to get more Jesus in your life. You're going to reflect him and his person more to others in your life as a result. So rejoice in that. Be excited about that and just look to him for grace to bear up under the trial. In Daniel 3.19, um, the uh, king at that time, you know, gave it. He was very furious with uh, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And he's going to throw them in a fiery furnace because they refused to um, not worship their God. Uh, the God of the universe. And it says, and he commanded that they should heat the furnace seven times hotter than it normally is. So that happens. That's, that's the life that we live. Sometimes things get seven times hotter than it normally is for us. But it's because God is setting up something miraculous, just like he was with those three Hebrew boys. He's setting up something amazing in your life. And look to that and trust that in faith. Put on your whole armor. Very important. Put on the whole armor of God. And having done everything, you stand. Um, keep in mind that you're bringing glory to the name of the Lord Jesus. And your faith is going to grow stronger. And we need believers that are full of faith, full of the spirit and full of faith. Those are the kind of believers we need to be. And that's the kind of believers that the world needs to see. We should encourage one another to be that. And we need one another. That's why it says in Hebrews, we just studied back in chapter 10, where it says that we shouldn't be forsaking the assembling of ourselves together because 
these things are happening in other believers' lives, and we need each other. We need to encourage one another. Let me go back and read that. It wasn't too long ago that we studied that in chapter 10, verse 22. Starting in verse 22, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for this is this is for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. So you see how this is all kind of coming together. It's very important for us to understand how we need one another. Uh, the day is definitely approaching. You know, we can see that. It doesn't take, you don't have to know a lot about scripture to see how that we live in a time where the Lord Jesus could come at any time. All the pieces are in place. You know, he could come at any moment. How is he going to find us? Is he going to find us in fear or is he going to find us in faith? trusting him for those that may be listening to this that are not saved uh, if the lord has you to hear this it's because he wants you to know him through the gospel message he's not asking you to trust him for anything other than your salvation and he's done all that needs to be done to accomplish salvation it is his to give to whom whoever he wants to and I exhort you to believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved. Uh, I want you to understand that he's given salvation to people who don't deserve it, just like me. And you don't deserve it either. He knows that. He doesn't give it to people because they deserve it. He gives salvation because of his grace and his mercy. And, you know, he... He came to this earth to deliver the message of the Father. He died and he was raised again. He died for sin. He died because our sin, all the sin of everybody who the Father gave him was placed upon him. And he had to die because the end of death, the end of sin is death. That's just, that's, a, that's the rule. So he died. But he was raised again because the father accepted his sacrifice as the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the people. That's why he is always and forever will be the lamb of God. And he, he was resurrected unto eternal life. And now he has that eternal life to give to whomever he pleases. Jesus has eternal life. He is the one who saves. Cry out to him for that. There's nothing else that you need more than that. Not food, not water, not shelter, nothing. You must be saved. It's so important. And only the Lord Jesus can save you. And he will. He has. He's merciful. He wants to save. He's not uh, hoarding salvation. He, he'll give it out liberally. But you have to go to him. You have to be called and you have to recognize that he is the only one who has this salvation to give. 
And I pray that the Lord would be gracious and deliver you, even as he's delivered me and countless others. Let's close. Father, we come before you thanking you for your word. We thank you for how that you've recorded these things for our benefit. Father, we pray that you would make us to embrace these things in our lives, incorporate your word into our lives in such a way that it's that we would live a life that's pleasing to you, that we can rejoice and praise your name and enjoy the life that you've given us in Christ. It's full of blessing and I pray, Father, we would embrace that. Thank you so much for all that you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.